So Luke chapter 9. We've, we hadn't been there for a couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to be toward the... It's a long chapter, I'm telling you. Uh, toward the, the end of, of Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 37 today. And it's a short little thing. It's just one quick little event uh, that happened after the transfiguration. You know, we talk about mountaintop moments. I think probably the transfiguration, I would think, if you're Peter, James, and John, uh, that's like the definition of mountaintop moment. Literally, on a mountain, at the top, for a moment. And while you were there, while you were there, crazy things happen that shape your faith and your understanding and, and maybe shake even a little bit of some of your understanding in the past. They're up there and they're, they're watching Jesus. And I don't know what they thought they were going on. I assume they probably thought it was just another one of Jesus. Let's go climb up a mountain and we'll pray. And uh, so they, they go with him up there. They're probably excited because uh, Peter, James and John seem to love the fact that they often get to go on these side trips with Jesus. Uh, sometimes it's a little bit of a bone of contention because they start to make it. They start to think like that makes them more important than others. And that got them in trouble a time or two when they were arguing of the important people, which one of us is the most important, which is in the kingdom of God, neither of you. And so they kept having to learn that lesson over and over again. But that's what they went up there, probably thinking this was going to be just another prayer night on the mountain. A great thing. But they've done this before. It was not just another. They get up there and first... They take a nap. That was not unusual. They seem to do this a lot. And uh, they go up there, they get a nap, and they wake up and they see that Jesus is talking to somebody and glowing. Uh, neither is necessarily unusual if you're God to glow or to talk to people. But they're still learning that Jesus is God, right? They're still learning that he is the son of God. They kind of know it. They've, Peter's confessed it already. Uh, they're getting it, but they're still just like us wrapping their head around it. And they look, and here's Moses, and here's Elijah. And like I said last time, I don't know how they knew that. I don't know if it was easy because Jesus just said, Hey, Moses, hey, Elijah, while they were awake. Or if, like I said last time, maybe they had prophet playing cards, and they knew. Look at that. That's him. And however or another, they knew this was Moses and Elijah, two of the most important people in their faith. So that's huge. It's huge. Maybe we don't quite even understand how big this would be for them to see the giver of the law and the one who called them back to the law in a very powerful way. But that's who they see. They overhear the conversation. They know that they're talking about what Jesus' plans are when he gets to Jerusalem. They've heard them before. Jesus has been explicit. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. The scribes, the teachers of the law are going to put me to death. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to be raised on the third day. He said all of that stuff to them. It wasn't veiled. It wasn't, you know, I wonder what he means by that. It was pretty clear. But they're having a hard time having it sink in. But they hear them discussing these plans. Peter gets excited. He says, this is so cool. I want to build three tabernacles. I want to build one for you and for you and for you. And we're going to come up here and we're going to spend a lot of time. We're going to worship. It's going to be great. And it's going to be, and he's, and God breaks in and says, listen, I want you to listen to him. This is my son. He's the one that I've chosen. Listen to him. Interrupts Peter's whole plan. It's incredible what they saw, what they experienced. And they're coming down and they've been told not to tell anybody. How easy would that be for you? Not to tell anybody. Some of you are pretty good at keeping confidence. Some of you think you are pretty good 
at keeping confidence. You know, uh, you, you, you don't tell anybody except one at a time and you think that's great. And so somehow you think that that's the way that works. That's not the way that that's not the way any of that works. But that's that's how it goes. Well, there I don't know how hard a time they're going to have keeping this a secret, but it seems to be, at least historically, that probably they did as they were told and they kept that to themselves until after the resurrection of Jesus. That was their instruction. Okay, but they still got it welling up inside them. So when they're coming down the mountain, they are excited. They can't tell anybody why, but they're excited. And so, you know, they're, they know about the mission. They know what God's up to. They realize, man, Jesus, I knew he was the son of God, but he's like the son of God. You've got to see this. And he, he glows. And so he's just absolutely incredible. And then this is what they come down to. Let's read this passage because what they come down to is not probably what they expected. It's not necessarily so different from what they've seen before. But you know, when you come down from the mountaintop, you know eventually you're going to hit a Monday. But you're always hoping that it's not the first Monday, right? It's like when you come back from vacation, you dream that everybody at your job has done their job, don't you? And then you wake up Monday morning, don't you? And we know how that often goes. You go into work. Some, every now and then you get a trip and you come back and everything's fine. But a lot of times you go back on Monday. And what happened? You spend the first week not just catching up from your vacation, but apparently from theirs, right? And that you didn't know about. That kind of stuff. So that happens all the time. And that's what happens when Jesus comes down the hill. The next day, when they came down the mountain, a large crowd met them. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and it's destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Look at Jesus' reaction. This is a Monday morning after vacation kind of a reaction. He says, you unbelieving and perverse Generation. I don't know exactly the tone he said, but I don't think it was happy. I watched a video on YouTube. It's one I've seen before, a rendition of the Gospels. And they have Jesus going, you unbelieving and, 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 and rebellious. And what was the other word he used? I want to make sure I use this right. Perverse. You're a perverse generation. And then he hugs them. Is that how you would say that? Oh, come here, you darling perverse generation. I just, I just love you. That's the way this was in the video. And I'm like, I don't think that's what I'm reading in Jesus here. Hey, I think sometimes we try to avoid Jesus getting mad because we don't want Jesus mad. Because if Jesus can be mad, Jesus can be mad at me, right? That's, I want that. So, you know, you kind of want him to say, oh, come here, bless your heart. Because that's how the video was. I don't think it's like that. He says, you unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay and stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Now, he might have said, bring your son here in a different tone. Don't know how he felt about the father. I think that was probably more compassionate. But the crowd in general, he's pretty fed up. And that's not just my, it's not just my guess, okay? Uh, when you, one great thing about having the, the three of the four Gospels sharing a lot of the stories is they often give us different insights. And we're going to look in a few minutes at some of the different insights that we get from Matthew and Mark that t- tell us more about what was going on. But before we do that, let's, uh, let's see what happens here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and in a, in a, into a convulsion. 
But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. Now, it ended right, didn't it? They were all amazed at the greatness of God because what Jesus was able to do. As the boy is coming, he goes into a convulsion. It says, not this, the boy, the spirit throws him into a convulsion. In other words, kind of like uh, back at uh, Gennesaret in the cemetery there with, with the guy who was demon-possessed. The spirit knows who Jesus is even before the people know who Jesus is. They know his power even before sometimes the people of faith know his power. And they are not happy. The spirit is not happy. And so it throws the boy, it abuses the boy right there in front of the crowd and in front of Jesus. And it's been going on for a long time. When you put the three different accounts together, you have here Luke talking about how the father says it puts him into convulsions and Everything. Other accounts show that it had also caused him to go mute. This poor kid could no longer even talk. So he couldn't even say what was going on. And he's in a convulsion. And it would have looked similar the way he describes it. It looks similar and it would be easy for us to write this off as an epileptic seizure. There's only one thing. Does Jesus know the difference between a seizure and a spirit? Yes, he does. This is like a seizure with a brain of its own. That's worse. This is not just a short. This is not just an imbalance. This is a spirit with a mind of his own casting the child at times into fires. We get that from Matthew and Mark. Would throw him into the fire, throw him into the water to try to drown him. The spirit was bent on destroying this man's son. You can imagine the desperation that would come with a father like that, couldn't you? This is how he describes it. A spirit seizes him and throws him into convulsions. He foams at the mouth. He falls into the fire and water in Matthew. He's robbed him of his speech in Mark 9. And that's just what he tells us. What do you think it's like to be a father? To see a child go through these things. And some of you, I mentioned epilepsy and seizures. Some of you know what that's like. That's hard enough. A lot of us have been there when those kinds of things happen. One of our friends in Bonham, her daughter had seizures her entire life. Some of the worst I've ever seen. Bite down on wood level seizures daily, multiple times daily, her entire life. Could not go out and around very much just because of the danger of what could happen if she went into a seizure in public. And I I was there a few times when those things happened. And even when you know what's going on, even though you know it's going to be over in a minute, that's hard to watch. Hard, I'm sure, to experience. It's hard to watch as a family member, as a father or a mother. The helplessness that would be there would be intense, wouldn't it? I've been in in ERs with members that went through convulsions related to, to strokes and things like that. It's hard. And you never feel more helpless than in those moments. And even when doctors and nurses, who we were very thankful for, uh, and you're thankful they're telling you, don't worry, this one's normal, this one's not causing any problems. Man from the outside and, and, and unfamiliar. Uh, That's some scary stuff. And none of that is caused by a spirit, an evil spirit, an impure spirit that comes from Satan. Like what this boy deals with. One that isn't just random, so to speak. 
but that actually has an agenda to harm your child on purpose. That's just a whole other level of intensity, isn't it? And he's come to Jesus for help. There's a lot more to this picture than what we pick up in Luke. And, you know, Luke picks the details that, that he has heard and wants to share and has confirmed. And uh, Matthew and Mark, uh, Matthew and I witness to the event. Luke's gotten it from witnesses, but Ma- Matthew is a witness. Brings still more detail to the story. Look over there at Matthew chapter 17 for a second. Let's look at this. If you use you version, the outline's in there too. I didn't tell you that this morning, but it's there. Matthew chapter 17. I want to skip down to. Uh, mm, do I want to skip? I guess I do. We'll go uh, to verse 20, uh, 17. Kind of the same spot we started there. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that moment. And then the disciples came in private and said, why couldn't we drive it out? Because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. That's the beginning of some of the differences in this particular difference. Uh, Matthew tells us that the disciples are going, hey, how come we couldn't fix that? Mark 9, it's up there. Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, and he says, this only comes by prayer. Well, Mark also gives us another detail. Uh, If we return over to Mark 9, we'd find that when Jesus came down the mountain and they brought this man or this boy to him, that what Jesus had seen first was not the father bringing the kid over to him, but right before that happened, he had seen that the disciples are having a knockdown, drag out argument with some of the scribes. So the disciples and the and the disciples and the scribes, maybe not the disciples and the scribes are sitting there griping at each other. Now you know why they're griping at each other, don't you? Well, for one thing, the disciples aren't getting anything done, and that leaves an opening. If the disciples are sitting there going. In the name of Jesus, healed! I don't think they did it like that, but that's how the TV disciples do it, right? If they were doing that, it's not working. And the, the scribes are sitting there going, told you it wouldn't work. Hey now! And so you know, then they get griping. The scribes don't think it's going to work. Why? Because these are disciples of Jesus and they're heretics already in their minds. Why would it work? The disciples, not being able to heal this kid also then feeds confidence to the scribes and the teachers of the law who are criticizing Jesus. And so they're going, we knew it wouldn't work. We, you know that you're wrong. We knew there was no power in his name. We knew this and we knew that. And then they're griping over all of that. And what's not happening while all of this griping is happening? Hmm? Guy's not being healed, is he? In fact, where's the guy? He's walked off to go find Jesus. Isn't that something? Disciples so busy arguing amongst themselves that those in need have to go find somebody else and maybe even have to find Jesus without you. I'm glad that never happens anymore. Aren't you? 
Never would Jesus ever find Christians in 2019 griping at each other instead of helping people in the name of Jesus. Right? So we, at least we've gotten over that. But they go to Jesus and they say, Jesus, why, why, why couldn't we do it? We tried to fix him and we did this and we did that. And do you notice what's in common in both those passages? Pronouns tell the story, don't they? I think so. Pronouns often tell the story. And, so, and, and, and now they tell the story so much, everybody wants their own custom and engraved pronoun. They're making things up. But, but pronouns tell a story. And, and when, when we're selfish, self-centered, or we're relying on our own strength, they, yeah, that will come out. When they asked Jesus, why couldn't we drive it out? They didn't say, Jesus, how come, how come the power of your name wasn't working in this kid? They didn't ask that. You know why? Deep down, they're diagnosing what the problem was, aren't they? They're admitting what the problem is without knowing they're confessing. It's the same thing that I do sometimes. It's the same thing you do sometimes. We, we try to fix it ourselves. We get so confident in our faith that we don't rely on our faith. And they didn't. This answer, both these answers are actually far more power. They're easy easy to skip over. They're far more powerful than they may seem. Jesus, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind only comes out with prayer. I bet you could have heard a pin drop. These people are supposed to be all about prayer. Right then, I wonder which disciple elbowed another one and went, I thought I told you we were supposed to pray. Which one? It would be the same one that elbows somebody at lunch today. I told you to pray for those potatoes. That's why he's choking. You know, that's going to happen. It's going to happen. And you could have heard a pin drop because they knew this, didn't they? Don't we know this? And yet how often do we spend days, weeks, months, a year trying to fix it out, sort it out, work at it, and never quite getting it to work. And we wonder why in the world this person isn't healing spiritually or physically. We wonder why in the world our marriage is falling apart. We wonder why in the world our job's not working. We wonder why our own inner being is just an absolute mess. And Jesus could look at us and answer the question the same way and just say, well, it would work with prayer, buddy. What are you doing? It would have worked with prayer. They had to kick themselves all the way to the next town, didn't they? That wasn't even the only answer they got. That was just like part A. Matthew records the rest. Why couldn't we drive it out, he replied. I wonder if Matthew records this part of the answer. Maybe this is what struck Matthew. Because he was there. He was in the room when they went inside and asked this question. Maybe this is what struck Matthew's heart. He replied... Because you have so little faith. That had to sting too. You didn't have any faith. Hadn't he just said this when he calmed the storm? We're not even chapters away. He's saying again, guys, where's your faith? It's because you had so little faith. And that's, you know, we read, truly I tell you, even faith as small as a mustard seed. And you could say to this mountain, move, and it would move. We love that verse, right? Because we're thinking, oh, good. Because sometimes I'm kind of weak. And as long as I've got a mustard seed, I'm all right. I'm good. He's going to move a mountain and everything else. And, and somebody practiced all over Texas because all of ours have been cast into the sea. And I'm assuming this is where they went. 
That's what I'm thinking. I was told when I lived in Bonham that we lived at the top of a mountain in Bonham. That's what I was told. And I said, where? There's a geologist. He said, it's all been buried when this was all under the sea. You know, that was a big blow up, wasn't it? But when it was all put under the sea, all the dirt settlement literally buried. There's a mountain range in northeast Texas that you can't see, you know. And so anyway, if only faith is a mustard seed. But we forget the context of this, don't we? These guys had faith as a mustard seed, didn't they? They believed. Peter had just said, when Jesus said, and who do you say that I am? I believe that you are the Christ. Peter, or Jesus tells Peter, listen, on that confession, I'm going to build my entire kingdom. Satan isn't going to be able to shake it. They had faith. They had faith greater than a mustard seed. But what good did it do them when they tried to put that in the shelf and do it on their own? There's a more humorous example of this in the book of Acts. Uh, The seven sons of Sceva. I love that story. If you're not familiar, you need to go home and read it in Acts. It's awesome. These guys hear about how the disciples were healing in Jesus' name. And they decide, you know what? The name's good enough. We're going to go and we're going to go heal in that name. So they go into a demon-possessed man's house. And they decide they're going to drive out these demons because they know the right name. Okay? That sounds familiar. We think we have the right name too, don't we? We put it on everything. Some of you even put the C small just so you don't get a big head. Uh, but but we, we're sure we've got the right name. And they were too. And so they go into this house and they do the, In the name of Jesus, get out of here to that demon. And that demon says, You know what, buddy? I don't know you. That's when you should be scared. When a demon says to you, I don't know you. Mm, it's about to get bad. It's about to get bad. They said, I know Paul and I know Jesus, but I don't have any idea who you are. And the demons beat those kids naked and sent them running out in the street in their skivvies. You better, you don't, you'd be throwing around the name of Jesus. You don't know sure, you're not sure what it's really for or what it's going to do. Because the devil knows, and the devil knows whether your faith is there or not. And these guys weren't real believers. They just thought it was a name you could toss around. That's not so different what was happening at the bottom of the hill. People who believed better and knew better, but were just relying on their own ability to try and drive out a demon. They thought they had the right knowledge. They thought they had the right technique. They thought they had it down. I've done this enough. Let me try it. Get out. Doesn't work, does it? It didn't work for them. Because all you had to do, Jesus says, is ask. God would have delivered that child And instead, you put him through a second hell. That's as bad as the lady who went to doctors for 12 years and spent all her money and got worse. They've come to the disciples. And they know that they they should be able to bring about this healing. But they couldn't because it was all about them. It's the same thing with churches. Francis Chan in Forgotten God that we just read. Forgotten God, our tragic neglect of the Holy Spirit. He says at the beginning and the end of the book, That anybody can build a nice church. Anybody can get a bunch of people together with just a dynamic preacher and some good singing, good music or whatever, and good programs. You can do that. That's possible. And you can do it without God and you can do it without the Holy Spirit. That's kind of what it's like 
to be these disciples at the bottom of the hill. You can draw a crowd. You can have your arguments. You can do all of those things. But without the Holy Spirit of God, you can't make disciples. And you'll never know the healing and the thrill that comes with being a disciple of Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, when you're trying to do it all on your own. And you'll actually be a danger to other people. This poor father, watching each of these disciples in turn, here, let me try it, I can do it. Let me try it, I can do it. Let me try it, I can do it. It's no different than all of those snake oil salesmen they could have found at the market. Empty, but also harmful. And Jesus says, all you ever had to do was believe and pray. We get the same thing sometimes in our own advice to brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, we, we tell people the things that we think they ought to do or how they think they can fix a certain thing. And the truth is, that's us at the bottom of the hill again. What we need to do is point them to Jesus. We need to pray with them. We need to point them to this Holy Spirit. We need to ask God. And we need to speak in, in faith and help them to learn to walk in faith. That it is God who will bring the wisdom they need. That it is God who will bring the peace they need. It is God who will bring the healing they need. And we go to Him together. Every Sunday we do this. We come together and we're ready to pray for each other. Whether it's because we're going through a hard time or we've got healing that needs to happen or like the, the gentleman that came by this morning, his house has burned down. And we need to go to God in prayer with each other. That's what we're here for. It's who we are. And whether uh, we always extend the invitation, whether you do that because you come forward and you pray, or if you go to the back, Ralph and Donnie, two of our elders, are at the back right now. And they would gladly pray with you and pray for you. We're not going to make this mistake this morning. We're not going to give you a whole bunch of answers we don't have. We're not going to try, try to fix everything by our own power and wisdom. We're going to take you to God. We're going to take you straight to Jesus and let Him do what by faith we know only He can do. To move His Spirit through your life. To bring you healing and peace and compassion. To bring you strength and wisdom that's beyond any of us. And we offer that to you today. We also call you, if you've not yet put your life into God's hands, we encourage you to consider being baptized into Christ. It's not the water, okay? Because it's not what we do, is it? It's not the water and it's not just the obedience. It's the faith. Colossians 2 is my favorite verse on baptism where he tells us that we are, are circumcised, cut off from our old life and our old uh, dead faith and our old uh, bad mistakes. And we're brought back to life, but we're not brought back to life in baptism because of us. He says, when we are baptized, we are brought to life through our faith, just like here, through our faith in the resurrection power of God. God will raise you from the dead. He will raise you from your sin. And He will bless you with a new life. Cleansed. And here's the great promise. The great promise. We talked about this Thursday. Unlike any other time in your life, when you come up out of that water, the Holy Spirit will have taken up residence in your body as His temple to walk with you, to guide you, to lead you, to strengthen you, to heal you. To be a deposit for you, Ephesians says. 
showing that God is going to be with you every step of the way from here on. So if you can understand what it's like to be that father with no answer so far and desperate for a healing, Jesus is where you'll find it, just like with him. And we're not going to stand in your way. We're going to take you right to him. And we're not even going to argue along the way about the best way to get there. We just call you to come to Jesus this morning as we stand and as we sing.